EM Guidewire, hard-hitting emergency medicine from Carolina's Medical Center. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to EM Guidewire, brought to you by the residents and faculty from Carolina's Medical Center in Charlotte, North Carolina, coming to you today from the J. Lee Garvey Innovation Studio. And do you know what? Before our most recent chief residents graduated, they were able to sneak into the recording studio, maybe using some tricky Selinger technique, and lay down some educational tracks in the EM Guidewire archives. Today's episode is going to bring back Dr. Rushnell, and she's going to discuss the challenging topic of DVT and pulmonary embolism in pediatric patients. Yes, that's right, I said pediatric patients. So, without further ado, let's bring back Dr. Rushnell. Hello, and welcome to Chief's Corner, where the chiefs of Carolina's Medical Center break off a morsel of knowledge for your learning pleasure. My name is Dr. Rushnell, and I will be the chief taking you through the case today. So, the scene for this case is a rural emergency department. You are working in the fast track, and a 16-year-old child comes in complaining of some hip pain and leg swelling. The patient denies any trauma, doesn't really have any past medical history, no prior history of any leg problems, and does report that they are on birth control. The patient states that over the last two days, they've had worsening swelling and pain. The patient is noted to be tachycardic, but denies any chest pain or shortness of breath. You order a Doppler for this leg, which is still pulling. So while you're waiting for this ultrasound to come back, you start thinking about what are the next best steps for this patient. And you ponder to yourself if the fact that they're a child affects your workup, your plan, or your disposition for this patient. So diagnosing and treating DVTs and PEs is really a mainstay of emergency medicine. And we normally think about DVTs in adults. We are not nearly as comfortable managing these patients in the pediatric population. Now, PEs in the pediatric population are still pretty rare. They only occur in about 0.9 out of 100,000. Rates of DVTs and PEs are distributed in a bimodal manner in these patients, with the highest risk being between ages 0 to 1 and ages 15 to 17. Now, risk factors for the pediatric population for DVT and PEs are obesity being the only risk factor identified in about 50% of the cases, oral contraceptive pills, which are identified in about 38% of the cases, Less common are going to be things like central line placements, history of cancer or active cancer, congestive heart failure, or prothrombotic states like protein CRS deficiency, or antiphospholipid syndrome, nephrotic syndrome, or lupus. It's really important in these patient populations to think through differentials above and beyond. And if you have a patient with an unexplained DVT or PE, to potentially go looking for one of these other causes that can make them more prothrombotic. Mortality rates in these patients is pretty darn high, with up to 20% with the first diagnosis and 30% with recurrences. Now, this mortality number is complicated by the fact that these kids do have a lot of other health problems. Remember, a lot of this is associated with cancer, CHF, or other prothrombotic states. So, how do we go about trying to diagnose DVTs and PEs in this population? The biggest thing for DVTs, for sure, is just have it on your radar. I think a lot of times we don't think clots with kids. And in this patient, sure, she had swelling, and so that's probably going to be in your differential. But if this patient had just come in with hip or groin pain, I would argue that a lot of us probably wouldn't have DVT very high on the differential. 
So in patients with unexplained hip, groin, or leg pain, you need to think about a DVT as a possibility. Now, when you think about evaluating for a PE, we're also used to using things like Wells criteria and a D-dimer and a PERC when we talk about our adult patients. Unfortunately, however, PERC is not validated in children. There was a paper in 2013 that looked at applying the PERC rule to children retroactively, and it shows that it would have missed a shocking 84% of the PEs. So don't use PERC for kids. Unfortunately, the Wells criteria has not been validated in children as well, and D-dimer has only been validated in the adolescent population. So unfortunately, you're not going to get any help from the Wells criteria or the PERC for ruling out PEs in this population. Now the next question is, if you have identified a clot, how should you treat it? The most common drug used in children to treat DVTs or PEs is going to be Lovenox. This is preferred in most circumstances unless the child has severe renal failure. Now the reason for that is that kids aren't great about having a consistent diet. And if you think about putting a patient on Coumadin, the diet really has to be consistent or you're going to have INRs that are fluctuating all over the place. Additionally, Coumadin is going to require a pretty aggressive amount of blood draws and sticks. And those things we try to avoid in general in the pediatric population. So really low molecular weight heparin is going to be your first line choice for treating these patients. So some of you might be thinking, what about DOAX? We love using those in the adults. Unfortunately, it hasn't really been well studied in the pediatric population, and there's not adequate research at this point to use this in the pediatric population. There was recently a phase three trial that was published in 2020 called Einstein Jr., which I thought was adorable, that looked at rivaroxaban use for VTEs. Uh, it had a similar rate of recurrence with no increased risk of bleeding. However, it is important to note that this study was done and paid for by the manufacturers of rivaroxaban. So more studies are needed, more information is needed, and in the meantime, basically emergency medicine doctors should not be starting DOAX. The only time that this should be started is if a hematologist feels that it is necessary after failure of other medication. Now, last but certainly not least is going to be what's the disposition for this patient? As we all know, we're starting to move towards more outpatient treatment for our DVTs and low-risk PEs in the adult population. The biggest question in the pediatric population is going to be, what does their social support look like and how is their follow-up? So if the patient has good social support, is going to be okay giving themselves shots or the parents are going to be okay giving those Lovenox shots and they have good follow-up with a pediatric hematologist, then outpatient treatment can be considered for low-risk DVTs. Now, low-risk DVTs are going to be patients with no prior DVTs, no evidence of PE, no prior heparin use, and no significant comorbidities like infection, cancer, stroke, all those things. If the patient is not a low-risk DVT, the patient should be admitted for initiation of this therapy. There have not been any studies in the pediatric population specifically looking at outpatient treatment of low-risk PEs. Again, this is something that's just starting in the adult population, and as with most things, the literature is probably going to lag a couple years behind for the pediatric population. So for now, if you have a pediatric patient with a PE, that patient is going to need to get admitted for inpatient initiation of medication as well as hematology evaluation. Well, thanks for joining us today on Chief's Corner. I hope you learned a little and please let us know if you have any feedback on the episode today. See you later. Thanks for listening to EM Guidewire. Go. Be awesome today. Seems he out.
There's extremely minimal, ugh, which I thought was adorable. 